From the studios of One Jacks Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. All right, hello once again, and welcome back to another episode of The Revealing. I am joined here around the table with my friends and brothers in Christ, Frank Salvaggio and Chris Wing. Uh, We are uh, grateful to uh, not only be back together here, but to be back together with you. Um, We are going to continue our conversation on uh, this issue. I'll use that word if I can, if that's okay with you, because I do believe it is is an issue, an important one, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, But we are going to continue our conversation on the issue of uh, of the Bible and uh, what it is, what it is not, where it is, where it is not. Uh, last week, we talked about um, really just some foundational, I, I think it was, some foundational and hopefully profitable things strictly from the Word of God. Uh, we didn't go uh, to uh, any outside sources necessarily. Uh, we uh, just went to what the Word of God says about the Word of God. And if we can agree on that, then we can move forward in our discussion. If not, then, of course, there is a problem, as we said last time, with the issue of authority. Uh, But again, uh, last week was foundational on uh, what the Bible says about the Bible. We went to passages uh, that talk um, about—really, there were three, I guess, bottom-line points that we we discussed, uh, or maybe even words, I guess, I could even strip it down to that. Um, Certainty, um, settled, and pure were the uh, really— pressing and important things that, that God brings out in His Word about His Word. And so uh, we're going to continue with that discussion and that theme today, uh, but today we'll take a bit of a different direction. Uh, we're not going to belabor what we talked about last week. There's obviously ne- obviously no need for that. Uh, but we are going to um, go into some more um, historical, some more... Um, factual and some more technical uh, components of this issue, uh, because I think we, we made the point last time that, you know, this isn't just a, an issue of preference of which English version to use, but it comes down to from where they came. And so that's where we're really going to steer this conversation today. Uh, Pastor Frank, I know there are a lot of um, we actually dropped a few of them last week, I guess, but a lot of terms and um, types of text, uh, T-E-X-T-S, uh, manuscripts, we, we talked about that, we used that word, maybe even starting there. You know, we talked about, about original manuscripts last week, um, but um, maybe we can just start there. What is a manuscript, um, and, and what is it not? Because if, if a church or a Christian says they believe what in the original manuscripts uh, or we say the original manuscripts don't exist. Okay, well, what is that? What is a manuscript? And then we, we go from there because um, there are Alexandrian texts or manuscripts. There are um, received, there's the received text, there's the critical text, um, Byzantine and, and Codex, and um, manuscripts can be extant. You know, what does that mean? And so we, we, we just kind of, I think it would be very helpful for us to. Um, really just 
get some of these terms down. Uh, if this is the first time you've heard some of these things, then, you know, of course, um, we, we don't expect to, to, to have these things mastered at, at this point, but I think it's good for us to be in the know um, of, about what's be, behind some of this stuff and what these words are uh, and what they mean. So uh, don't operate heavy machinery while you're listening to this episode uh, because it's it's going to get a little uh, a, a little wordy, maybe, um, a little, little deep, I guess, as far as facts are concerned and history and whatnot. Uh, so we hope we, we don't want to lose you in this conversation. And, and listen, I say we don't want to lose you. I'm, I might get lost in this conversation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, and none of us profess to be the authority here, of course. Um, uh, and so we're all on a path. We're all growing. We're all learning. So um, do, t- do take that uh, in humility. Uh, but uh, maybe, Frank, we can start there. Um, so, so what is a, a manuscript, um, and, and especially as it pertains to this discussion of the Bible? Yeah, so, okay, before we kind of jump there, um, let me say this, because I think it's important. Um, I, this can get really technical, obviously. So we don't want to lose people. So we're going to try to make this as simple as we can with some technical terms, <laughs> if I could say it that way. But, but this is the one thing I want everyone who's listening to really pay attention to because um, you know, facts are important. And what we're stating right now is fact. If you just do your own study, if you do your own uh, 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 looking up of information, um, I promise you that you are going to see that what we're, we're stating right now is facts. And, and that's right now, let's just deal with facts. Let's forget about the issue. Let's just deal with facts okay. and see if we can start putting the puzzle together cool. uh, because I do think it's important. And listen, it's as simple as this. Look, look how easy this is going to be. What we have to understand is that for roughly 1,500 years, maybe even a little bit more than that, there was really uh, uh, only two sets of manuscripts that were available. And that's why I said this isn't a Bible translation translation uh, issue of, of which English version. Is, or, excuse me. It's not a Bible version issue of which English version. That's not the problem. Because today, if we, go, if we start there, well, now our problem is we have hundreds <laughs> of translations. Uh, and, and that's going to be very difficult to navigate. Let's bring this down to its simplest terms and say, okay, where did these translations come from? Okay. Because yeah. that is the most important thing. And when we break it down to its simplest terms, there's only two sets of manuscripts for almost 1,500, maybe more than that, years that were being used. And it was the, the two different kinds is what we uh, call the Alexandrian text or the Byzantine text. Okay? It was really that simple. And that is really where this conversation needs to start. And when you say they, these were the two main texts used for approximately 1,500 years, does that mean that that is no longer the case? Well, no, because now it's turned into translations. Okay. 
Yeah. Got it. The, 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 it's still the case. Okay. These are still the major ones Th- that are, are being the, used. Those are the ones, yeah. But, it's but, not like there's been more texts that have come in per se. I mean, that's no. not what, really what we're saying necessarily. Uh, there's there, there are okay. some minor ones, but they're not being – these are the ones where most of our translations come from. The major players. Yeah. And when I say most, we're t- probably talking somewhere around 98%. Mm-hmm. That's how – Serious this is yeah. like it mm-hmm. like or how obvious it is. it's going back to these two and even then the manuscripts that are, are, are of those other maybe two or three percent even then they're still classified as either Alexandrian or Byzantine text type. Okay. Okay. So okay. So let's let's kind of uh, what are you saying when you say Alexandrian text? What is what does that mean? Let's talk about that. Okay. So what happens is. When you go back to the time when uh, uh, God uh, did write the original manuscripts, okay, uh, it, they, they were written in the New Testament in Greek. Let's just deal with the New Testament. Easier to, uh, to navigate. Um, okay, so they were written in Greek. Okay, well, okay, what happened when we didn't have a copy anymore, or we didn't have an original anymore, and we had copies of copies. Where where did these go? You know, how did we get get to where we yeah. are today? Yeah, what's the process? Right, the process is pretty simple. It either followed the Alexandrian text type, or it followed the uh, Byzantine text type. Okay. <clears throat> um, so what happened is, uh, three hundred twenty five A.D. is a major turning point in all of this. This is when something very, very important happened, okay? And we, 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 we got to make sure we, we, we uh, uh, understand that. Uh, again, uh, we want to use the Bible as our uh, authority on the subject. And so, uh, Robert, you've been doing a, a fantastic job of, of preaching through uh, church history uh, on Thursday night, which, by the way— it's it's important to understand our church history mm-hmm. to understand what we're talking about right now. Uh, I would argue most people don't know their church history, uh, hence the reason why we have uh, so many issues in many areas within the church, uh, including Bible translations. Mm. Okay, so um, if you go through the book of uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, very, very clearly, if if you— really understand what's going on in those two chapters. There's no doubt it is walking us through uh, a historical uh, uh, look at the church. But then again, it's also no doubt it's walking us through a future laying out of church history before it happened. We can look back now and go, oh man, look at how these dots connect and uh, certainly see uh, that those seven churches that Jesus wrote to lay out the history of the church. Okay. Well, when you get to the church of Pergamos, okay, which you have been talking about uh, uh, for quite some time now in our church history study, um, that that period of time, when you start to see what he, what, what Jesus is, is talking about there, it, it fits beautifully with what happened uh, during the period of time of roughly 325 AD to about 500 AD mm-hmm. in history. Right. Uh, there's no doubt about it. If you watch it and look, that's what he's talking about, and those are the things that were happening during that time period. Well, uh, beside the point, the 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 the, the thing that I want to focus on in that Pergamus period is as Jesus writes each letter to each church, he 
makes a, a, a opening statement to the church that gives an identifying characteristic of who he is. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. And we've talked about this in, uh, on our Thursday night studies. When he writes to the church of Pergamos, what he says in Revelation 2.12 is that he is the sharp sword with two edges. Okay. Well, compare scripture with scripture, and we know that the sharp two, the sharp two sword with two edges, Hebrews 4, mm-hmm. is the word of God. That's what it is. So Jesus is the sharp two sword, you know, the sharp sword with two edges. He is the word of God. Uh, again, you went to that Revelation 19 passage. We talked about that. And, and he is the word of God. And what comes out of his mouth? Sharp two edges sword. Okay. So there you go. The word of God. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's no doubt about it. So the question is, is why did Jesus during the time period of roughly 325 AD and 500 AD, want to make an emphatic statement that he is the word of God. The reason why is because something very big happened during that time period that set this whole thing in motion. Up to that point, the uh, most prominent and uh, 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 identifiable manuscripts that were being uh, propagated uh, was the what we will call now the Byzantine text type. Now, certainly back then it wasn't called the Byzantine text type. But what we know is that those uh, manuscripts were coming out of Antioch. That's where they were coming out of. Okay? Facts, can't argue them. There's no doubt about it. That's where they were coming out of. They were the ones that were mostly being used and propagated. But then in 325, something changed. Um, there are some people we could talk about right now, uh, your early church fathers, uh, Origen being one of them, um, that, that really played a major role in what happened. Okay, uh, But ultimately, what ends up happening is, in 325 AD, Constantine marries the church with Christianity, uh, uh, with Rome, excuse me. Pagan Rome uh, had been trying to wipe out Christianity. Uh, Many of the emperors uh, were doing some major uh, atrocities against Christians, killing them. Uh, You could read all about that in Martyr's Mirrors. You could read all about that in uh, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, Although it continued after that, you can see where there was some heavy persecution against Christianity. Well, when pagan Rome... Uh, could not wipe out Christianity. What it, uh, what Constantine, uh, and now by this time the empire is starting, the Roman Empire is starting to fall apart. He realizes that okay, we can't beat them, uh, so join them, and so that's what happened. Uh, uh, Rome, pagan Rome, joined with Christianity, uh, and hence the reason why the word Pergamus means much marriage. Much marriage. That's what it, that 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 name uh, had a had a meaning behind it. And so, okay, well, when uh, that happened, what Constantine realized was is that pagan Rome and the pagan uh, 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 believers of, of the pagan Rome, uh, you know, they, they, they necessarily didn't believe some of the things Christianity believed. And then the Christians realized that they didn't necessarily believe what the pagans believed, Rome. But yet somehow we got to make this thing work. 
And so they took a lot of the pagan ideologies and turned it into Christian holidays. Right. We talked about that uh, in, in, in our church history. You know, that's where Christmas comes from. That's where, uh, why we celebrate Jesus's birth on December 25th, which clearly he was not born on December 25th. You know, that's all Babylonian roots, all that good stuff. Okay. Beside the point, but there's something else that happened during that time okay. that plays into all this. Because a lot of the things that in the Bible didn't necessarily agree with what pagan Rome believed, they adopted the ideology that came from a guy by the name of Origen. And what Origen did is when he came to passages in the Bible that he didn't believe or trust or whatever, he would simply delete them out of the Bible or reword them the way he wanted them so that it could believe, you know, it could line up with his belief system. Mm. Okay. Okay. So what happened is in three, somewhere around 325 AD, they come up with this uh, ecumenical Bible. Okay. A guy by the name of uh, Eusebius is commissioned uh, to write an ecumenical Bible. And what does ecumenical mean? All different in one, all, all very different beliefs and thoughts and all just mixed into one. Right. So that's what it was. So that everybody could believe in it. Okay. So then what happened is as Eusebius did this, what he did is he started to do exactly what we just said. And Eusebius, by the way, if you track him, uh, he is a disciple of a disciple who was a disciple of origin. So that whole line of thinking, Eusebius had no problem with this. Mm -hmm. It was already what he believed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when he starts to do this, uh, he comes up with, if I remember correctly, uh, over 50 uh, uh, ecumenical Bibles, okay? Now, here's what you need to know about that. This is the important point. There's a lot of technicality we could get into, and we don't need to do that. Let's just keep it simple. That is the Alexandrian text type, mm. okay? It came from Alexandria. Where's Alexandria? In Egypt. Egypt. Origin was the... Dean, whatever you want to call it, of the library in where? At school in Alexandria, Egypt. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is this is why it's called the Alexandrian text type. And if you know what the Bible says about Egypt, this is why we're referencing this. If you know what the Bible says about Egypt, specifically Alexandria, uh, God uh, does not smile upon Egypt. Uh, so, And we're look, going to talk about that. Yeah. We're going to let the Bible tell us good, about good. Alexandria probably in a later episode. Cool. Uh, but... So what you have, and like I said, so really what you have for about 1,500 years, maybe a little longer than that, is you really just have these two major manuscript text types that either come out of Antioch or they come out of Alexandria, Egypt. Mm. Okay. Fast forward a little bit. What happens is the Roman, the Roman Empire uh, 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 falls, and then what comes up behind the Roman Empire is the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, 476 AD, somewhere around there is when we see the Roman Empire fall away from its political, uh, military aspect, and now it becomes a religious aspect. Okay, well, which one of those manuscripts do you think they took with them? Mm. Well, of course, they took the one that followed Constantine and Eusebius, and that is the Alexandrian text type. That is the ones that they followed after. That's the one. And then what they did is, uh, as the Pope started to come into play, and the Pope started to become the infallible vicar of Christ, Okay, 
what what these popes said is, okay, if you are found with an Antiochian, if I can say it that way, text type, the, the, the Byzantine, Byzantine text type, if you're found with that, we're going to kill you. <laughs> and so that's why we entered into a period of time uh, that we know as called the Dark Ages. Why? Why is it called the Dark Ages? Have you, have you ever really thought about that? And why are so many people trying to change? I think you just mentioned this on Thursday night. Why are so many people trying to change that terminology? We called it the Dark Ages for so long, but now it's the medieval times or the Middle Ages. Middle Ages. Yeah. No, it's the Dark Ages. And the reason why it's the Dark Ages is because the uh, uh, Byzantine text type had to go underground. It had to go underground because if you were found with that text type, they were killing you for it. They were burning those Bibles. They were burning those uh, uh, manuscripts. The Roman Empire was all against them. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, just as you're talking, things are just dumping into my head, historically speaking, and I'm sure you probably would mention it, but it's during that time when he says that that, that it went, quote-unquote, underground that you had these groups of people who were still following after that correct line of of manuscripts that came out of Antioch. And, of course, this has its roots back. As you've said, the Bible has a lot to say about Alexander Egypt, and, and uh, it also has a lot to say about Antioch. That's where the uh, hub of operations for the New Testament church moved from Jerusalem to Antioch, and where the apostles... Uh, uh, did their missionary journeys and would come back to there. And so this line of manuscripts that that, that were be, people were being persecuted for having came from that, and it has its roots back to, of course, the, the, the apostles themselves. So this, these groups started getting persecuted heavily, are known in history as the Anabaptist groups, okay? And they had many names, and they were all over different areas of, of Europe, and a lot of the names of these groups uh, pertain to where they were from in Europe, but they were being heavily persecuted now by papal Rome, um, you think of things like the Spanish Inquisition, that, that was a big uh, time period where they were being persecuted uh, for what they were believing in and standing against the Catholic Church. And so as Pastor starts to really unfold the historical relevance of what was going on then, that, that particular group just have that, that name in your head, the Anabaptists, uh, were really the ones who were holding true to that faithful, true line of uh, Antiochian or Byzantine uh, text um, that, that has its roots back to the apostles. They were being heavily persecuted for that, and when they would try to make copies of it, and they would get caught. They would be uh, they would be killed, and, and whatever copies they had were were destroyed and burned, like Pastor said. And so, uh, and and of course, ultimately, what ends up happening historically is that as though the Catholic Church tried to destroy these people, it ended up spread. They would push them out of the areas that they were in, and would end up ultimately spreading the true gospel of Jesus Christ into into more of the world. So and they were trying to annihilate it, but it really it really helped the cause out in the end. But these people were martyred very, very heavily. Uh, Pastor dropped the, the, the title of the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and, and you want the four-bush edition, obviously, because uh, the Catholic Church can uh, pervert the others um, to fit their, their thinking. But that's really the, 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 that is what really happened during that medieval and dark ages. It was dark because the Word of God had to go underground, as, as Frank was, uh, Pastor Frank was saying. So um, I'm sure you would, might have probably said that, but it was jumping no, in my fine. mind, so I wanted to just— have my voice heard. <laughs> and, and just for, if I can, a just a brief time of um, maybe personal application with what we're discussing here. You know, Chris, as you mentioned, the the our our brethren in in um, in times past, how they held the word of God, esteemed the word of God, and were faithful to it, 
to the point to where they were willing to give their lives ultimately for it. And, you know, I just look around in 21st century Christianity as it is today, and I think there are many who, though they wouldn't say it, they could take it or leave it, the Word of God. Um, because I think it's evident in, in, I'll use the pronoun our, in our lives, in the church as a whole. Yeah. And not only is that the case, but in these last days, it's going to continue to become the case, unfortunately, where there will be an increase within the church of people who have itching ears that just want to be spoon-fed Bible light and who um, have no idea. And this is really, hopefully, something that you we all come to see while we're discussing these things have no idea of the torture and the the sacrifices that have been made by men and women who believe who believed the very things that we believe today us here at the revealing and many of our listeners I believe but um, for the things that we adhere to they they were tortured for and gave their lives for and and again you have people who just approach the Bible like it's just another, you know, app on their phone, maybe, and um, and that's just really convicting to me. Sure, you know? isn't it amazing how they died for that? And if they were caught with any portion of Scripture, that it was destroyed and burned. But you, we can go to Walmart or the grocery store and pick up a copy of the Word of God, mm-hmm. you know, in the King James Bible. You can just go into a dollar store probably and buy a, a King James Bible. Mm-hmm. It's so readily and easily available to us, yet. The world has gotten to a point, like you said, where even within, quote-unquote, the church, that it's just nonchalantly treated as a, another book or another thing, or it's just shelved. And, and it's though a, it's easily available, it's not yeah. sought well, after. It's a thing for Sunday mornings. At best. When, when the yeah. pastor is you know, being preaching at me or whatever, and, and then I'll take it home and put it back where it goes on sure. my desk until next week. Yeah. You know, so It's just amazing how much they fought to get it out there, and now that it's out there... Nobody really wants it. <laughs> well, you know, and I think here's the thing, right, guys? So if we stand here today and we go, oh, this isn't really a big issue. Why are we arguing over this? You know, the, 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 just pick up whatever Bible you want and just read what you want, and everybody can just kind of go their hunky-dory way. Well, listen, this is why I think it's so important to understand church history. These guys obviously thought it was a big issue. Mm-hmm. These folks obviously thought it was a big issue because if you look at some of the horrific ways the Roman Catholic Church uh, tortured these people, it was because of this issue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. that This was the big issue. These people weren't submitting to the Alexandrian text type that was being propagated by the Roman Catholic Church. They were submitting to the Antiochian text type, which was being uh, which was they believed to be the uh, proper line, which, by the way, we'll get into that later, but do remember where they were first called Christians. Mm-hmm. In Antioch. In Antioch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, uh, they certainly thought this was a big issue. So to say, remember what we said in the last episode, uh, well, it's not really a big issue. Why are we fighting over it? You KJV only people, why are you you're causing division? Well, I would say these people caused division mm-hmm. first. They're the ones that wouldn't submit to it. And we're just saying, yeah, I'm not going to submit to it either. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so obviously there is more to this. And by the way, uh, even folks within the Roman Catholic Church eventually figured this out. Mm. This is what led to the Reformation. Reformation. Yep. Okay, the reason why Martin Luther and John Calvin and those boys all uh, uh, broke from the Roman Catholic Church is because they got their hands on some of Wyclef's work, John Wyclef, okay, which was Byzantine text type, and they started to go, wait a minute, something ain't right here. That's why they went to that whole solar, solar scriptura and things like that. So this is a big issue. It's always been a big issue yeah. throughout, throughout the history of the church. Which text type matters? It's a big issue. And if you don't understand what the big issue is, let me just say it. In, again, I want to try to keep this up as simple as I can. It's because the, uh, 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 the, um, the text type of, of Alexandrian, when you follow along that text type, here is the basic as, as – and listen – I'm just trying to be basic so we can grab onto this. There's more to this, obviously. Sure. But basically, this is what we're saying. Alexandrian text type had no problem with an allegorical method of the Bible. It came from origin. It, it just had no problem with, and that's why you hear people today say things like, well, it's not every word, it's the ideas of God. Sure. That's allegorical, folks. You're, it's it's whatever it says to you. It's your interpretation. It's how God sees it to you. Origen had five different ways he came to the Bible, and five different levels that he used in 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 his interpretation of the Bible. Listen, that is what we would call a uh, an allegorical interpretation. Okay, yeah. and when you do that. When you allow that to become your line of thinking, then when something doesn't really fit your line of thinking, what Origen believed was okay was to pick and choose and remove and change the Bible and say, that's not really what it said. Let me change it to what I think it says. Is that not what's going on today? Oh, definitely. Nothing's changed. It's the same concept. You know, um, okay, so now what was the opposite of that? The opposite of that was the literal interpretation of the Bible. And the only way you can come to a literal interpretation of the Bible is to take every word as it says. Right. But to take every word as it says, you must have every word. That's why those folks in uh, uh, that went underground, if you will, and, and didn't join with the Roman Catholic Church or at the time pagan Rome in 325 AD, uh, or actually I think the council was actually in three. 31, if I'm correct, but whatever, you get the time frame. You really have two principal lines of thought. Let's just try to keep it basic. Either you believe the Bible is allegorical because we don't have the actual words of God. Now it's up to us to decide what it says, or you believe we do have it and every word is to be taken literally as it says. Yeah. Okay. Now listen. That is where we stand. Mm -hmm. We stand saying we have every word and we're going to take it literally as it says it. If God says every word of God is pure, we believe that. 
If God says he's going to preserve his word, we believe that. If God says that, um, you know, uh, his word is a certainty, we believe that is certain. If he says that it's settled, we believe it's settled. Uh, what? So here's my question. What's so wrong with that? Mm-hmm. We believe that. Mm-hmm. And listen, if you're listening right now, why don't you? Why would you be okay with an allegorical interpretation of the Bible? Because when you allegorically interpret something, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Don't you understand that that's a major danger? That's a, that, that's a major problem. And you go, well, uh, you know, I don't know that I believe that. I believe what you're saying. Well, if you believe what I'm saying, then the only thing you can do is follow after the Byzantine text type. Because if you follow after the uh, uh, Alexandrian text type, Understand that's what they did. That's what produced those particular manuscripts. So with that being said, let's talk about manuscripts for a minute. Okay. First of all, before we do that, I want to talk about some uh, uh, important concepts because it's going to help us understand manuscripts. So what's a codex? If you see that word codex, what that word is basically talking about is a manuscript. Okay. Uh, that's what the word means. The next word that I think is important to understanding manuscripts is the word extant. And when you see that word, what that means is we have it today. We have a, a, a copy of that manuscript today. It's extant. It exists. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's the thing you need to know about all that. Um, as far as uh, how many um, um Parts and uh, uh, full uh, extant manuscripts we have today, uh, we have roughly over 5,800 of them. Okay. Okay. Now, what happens is, and what the uh, textual critics have done, is they've taken all those manuscripts and they've lumped them into two different areas. And they are called the majority text or the minority text. I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can. There's technical terms to all of that. We could get digger deeper into it, but let's just try to keep it simple. Okay, so what is the majority text? Well, obviously, uh, let's just put a number out there just so we we can work with it easily. Let's say that we have 5,000 manuscripts, okay? Um, Well, the majority of them (laughs) would be the majority text. The minority of them would be the minority text. So in other words, you have all these manuscripts, and now listen— When we say majority text and minority text, why they're saying that is because they are lumping them into the two text types as well. Because again, that's the majority of what we have. Of those 5,800 plus extant manuscripts we have, the majority of them agree with the Byzantine text type. The minority of them agree with the Alexandrian text type, hence the reason why they are calling them that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that majority text some something like 98% of it's, agreeance? It's almost uh, uh, all of it. So what happens is, now, hold on a minute. So about 95% of the extant uh, manuscripts that we have are in agreeance with, or would fit under the Byzantine text type, which by the way, that means only about 5% fits under the Alexandrian text type. Now, here's what's crazy. Here's the number you just dropped. Of the 98% extant majority text type, if you start to compare them one to another, they agree with one another 98% of the time. Yep. If you take the minority text type and you compare them to one another, they only agree with one another 30% of the time. 
So they don't even agree with themselves. Right. Okay. Why? Why is that? Well, it's, it's obvious. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. The reason why is because those that were involved in that minority text type were all interpreting it their way. So, of course, they're not going to agree. When man puts his grubby hands on something, you're going to start getting a whole bunch of different viewpoints. Yeah. That's what happened. These are facts, folks. Okay, these are facts. Right. You can't argue any of this. Uh, it's just a fact. And that's what Alexandria was known for. No doubt. It was a hotbed of uh, a melting pot of religions and philosophies, uh, Gnosticism, Greek philosophy, and, you know, uh, guys like Plato and Arist- and all these guys that had the that's what that big library that was founded there after Alexander the Great actually founded Alexandria in 332 BC that a library that that ended up starting there just it sucked in all the different philosophies and religions and 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 heavily on Gnosticism and then that ended up of course bringing Christianity into it and then it all just got put into one big melting pot. And so these manuscripts that come out, which we haven't even named them yet, but when we do, that's where they come out of, these Alexandrian manuscripts, had a a mixture of all of those things. And they're like origin, you said. I mean, if we sat here and just looked in origin and what he actually believed, Mm -hmm. we call him the father of modern-day allegorical method, but he didn't get that from—he got that from others before him in that school of uh, of Alexandria, Uh, guys like Clement and— uh, Philo, sure. you know, I mean, they they started this thing and it, and it went down from there. But uh, Origin, man, when you really look at what he believed, and you just sit there and just read that and think about what you know about the Bible, these two things don't match up. Well, what and, you and have, so it's, it's perverted and corrupted and gnostic and yeah. and just a mess. That's what Alexandria was. And, and so basically, what you have, if we're going to try to keep this simple, what you have is either you have man's view of God's word. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what came out of Alexandria. Absolutely. Or you have God's view of God's word, mm-hmm. which came out of Antioch. Right. That's what you have. That's really it. And that is a fact. Mm-hmm. You can't argue it. It just is true. Yeah. And so we're trying to keep this, um, you know, obviously there's so much more we could be talking about here, but I, I'm tr- I don't want to lose people. I want to keep it basic and as simple as we can. Okay. So we have these uh, codexes. So let's talk about them. Again, okay. what is a codex? It's, it's a manuscript, right. okay? There are three major codexes that most, when we go back to that majority text and that minority, and we start, most Bible translations today come from, okay? So this is why we say, and this is why I'm saying, really, it's really not a Bible translation issue. The real issue is what manuscript, what codex was used to develop that translation okay sure there are three major ones the three major ones let's talk about the minority the minority uh 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 uh, extant text that we have today the minority again remember the minority is about five percent okay of all available of all available manuscripts within themselves agree about 30 percent of the time the minority is what's called the sineaticus or Aleph, okay, if you want to get technical, and the Vaticanus, which is called B. Mm-hmm. Those are your two major uh, uh, Alexandrian text-type minority manuscripts that, uh, that are used for uh, uh, Bible translations today. Okay, so let's talk about those for a second, and then we can move on to the other one. 
Um, so where, where, uh, or what, how, how did we come about coming up to this Sinaiticus? Okay. Well, Sinaiticus, the reason why it's called Sinaiticus is because it was found at the St. Catherine's uh, Monastery on Mount Sinai in 1844 by a guy by the name of Constantine von Tischendorf. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and, and now listen, okay. Understand where he found it in the trash can. Mm-hmm. Not even those folks thought enough of it. They threw it in the trash can. Okay. So what happens is vision Tischendorf finds this, this, old manuscript that's so uh, profitable and so great to us in a crash can, okay? And we start using this old manuscript as a, uh, a major player in, in, in our translations today. Okay, let's stop there. If it's at the St. Catherine's Monastery, please someone help me. Mm. What is that? That's Catholic. That's yeah. a monastery. Right. Okay, so, so so now obviously when you look through this manuscript, what you are going to find is the Alexandrian text type. Hence the reason why that's what it is. It's Alexandrian text type. It's it's that's what it is. That's the line it came from. Okay, the other one that they found uh, was and that they use very uh, 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 much so today in translations is what's called the Vaticanus. Yeah. Uh, or 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 B. Okay, when did they find that? Well, they found that in a Vatican library uh, somewhere around 1481. Okay, um, and and again, if you are to um, uh, 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 go through Vaticanus, uh, there's no question about it. It is Alexandrian text type. Uh, obviously, if they found it in the Vatican library, what do you think that is? Catholic. It's Catholic, Roman Catholic. So, understand this. In its simplest terms, the Aleph, Sinaiticus, the B, Vaticanus, are Alexandrian text types that came out of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. And where do you find their foundations from? Where do you find their beginnings from? The ecumenical Bible that Eusebius did back in 331 AD when he married uh, Constantine did it, but he was the one that put the Bible together that was ecumenical for all, that they, that they all could believe in. And correct me if I'm wrong, I could be, but aren't these two particular manuscripts even thought to maybe even be the ones that they, Eusebius they, may have maybe part of his ecumenical? Yeah, we don't know. I know that's a thought that's out yeah, there. Yeah, that's a thought that's out yeah. there. That's a thought that's out there. Just, just reinforces yeah. the Roman Catholicism part yes. of that, if you will. So, so what happens is, okay, with these two particular manuscripts, is that you get these guys, Westcott and Hort, on the, on the scene, okay, who claim to be Roman Catholic, okay, uh, although I don't even know that they... I, they weren't Christian. They definitely weren't Christian. They definitely weren't. What they were, I don't know. And they love uh, the Vaticanus. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, so they, and so what they started to claim was, well, these are the oldest manuscripts we have extant today, so these are going to be the most relied upon and trusted. However, that statement is not true. That is an incorrect statement, unfortunately. Many people have bought into it, but just the facts itself do not prove that to be true. Okay, Uh, but we'll talk about that later. So 
This is what leads to, in uh, uh, the late 1800s, to uh, uh, the, the, the addition, the first edition of the Nestle's Greek New Testament, which leads to the verse, first translation of the Bible from something outside of the other text type that we haven't talked about yet, which is called, in 1901, uh, the... Um, revised version. The revised version. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 1901... There's a now a a different English translation on the market outside of the other one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just trying to get us back to the basics of this because if we start talking about the hundreds of different versions today, well, that's not going to get us anywhere. Let's let's get the the foundation of how this happened. Okay, that is the minority text type: Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, Alexandrian, Roman Catholic. You, if you're listening right now and you go, oh, I don't believe that, it's not about what you believe. History it's don't about lie. what is facts. <laughs> History don't lie. That's right. Okay. This is the fact. Okay. What's the other text type? The other one is the Byzantine text type, or uh, uh, there's many other different names that I've heard for it, but I do like the, uh, the Antiochian text type or the Syrian text type because that tells us where it came from. You know, that's why we're calling it that. We're calling it Alexandrian text type because it came from Egypt. We're calling it the Syrian or the Antiochian or the Byzantine text type because it came from Antioch, okay? It doesn't take a genius to go, I mean, if you just stop right there, you've got to go, well, which one do I think I want to at least lean towards? The one that came out of Antioch where they were first called Christians or the one that came out of Alexandria, Egypt, where Origen clearly had his filthy hands all over. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if you just stop right there, come on. Okay, but let's let's keep playing this for a little bit. So what is this? Well, uh, again, I told you that there's roughly 5,800, and you know, who knows by now, there's probably more than that, uh, extant uh, manuscripts that we have available today. today. There's a reason why they call them majority, okay? Because roughly 5,500 of those are what we would call the Byzantine text type. Yep. This within itself is amazing, okay? So here you go. You got 5,800. Roughly 5,500 are majority Byzantine, and roughly three or 400 are, are uh, Alexandrian. This within itself is amazing. Do either of you know why that would be amazing? Why would it be amazing that we have so many Antiochian and, 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 and so few? Why, why do you think that might be amazing? Because one was used and the other was not primarily. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that probably is true. Why else? Well, for me, I don't know, but when I think about Alexandria, Egypt, and the, the library and the school there, it's just such a massive powerhouse that you would think there would be such a sure. huge amount of availab- availability there uh, versus Antioch. Um, but how about this? It did burn down, though. How about this? How about this? The Roman Catholic Church was killing people that had these and burning them. Mm-hmm. Mm. The mm-hmm. fact that we have as many as we have is crazy because yeah, think about how many we would really have if the Alexandrian uh, or if the Roman Catholic Church wasn't burning them and, and, and doing what they did. It wouldn't be the majority text type. It would be the... <laughs> the only one. <laughs> and you see what I'm saying? And just think about it. This is just shows God's hand of preservation all over the no place. No doubt about it. That's the just point. Just like you said he would. That's the point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about how many we would actually have if the Roman Catholic Church didn't burn as many as they did. 
uh, it's it's it really is mind blowing to think about. Okay, uh, but yeah. uh, so you have this uh, Antiochian text type. Now, what happens with the Antiochian text type is uh, it, uh, and, and I don't want to get into the technicalities of it. But if you followed the history and traced the history of it, it's what ultimately leads to uh, the Textus Receptus, and the Textus Receptus, the TR, uh, uh, or the received text. Uh, is 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 what uh, was produced around the 1550s, somewhere in that area. Um, it, it really had its starts, if you will, with the uh, the the uh, what with Wycliffe. Okay, when the English language started to. Uh, get its uh, foot in the ground, if you will. Um, uh, it's what led to using the Textus Receptus as the, uh, the, the, the Greek manuscript to uh, translate into English. By the way, they, there were seven, seven translations that led to the eighth one, which was the KJV, but that's beside the point. Mm. Um, uh, we, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but here's the thing I want you to understand about that more than anything. Okay, so in today's landscape of translations, okay, let's, let's just talk about that for a second. In today's landscape of translations, I don't know how many English translations we have on the market today. Hundreds. Okay, but there's a lot. But let me just say this, and go ahead and check it. Go ahead, check what I'm about to say, because facts are more important than anything. All, let me repeat that, all of the English translations on the market today, including the New King James Bible, sure. uses Vaticanus and Sinaiticus as their source for their translation. And the reason why they use those for their source is because they bought into Westcott and Hort what they said, mm-hmm. which was that the oldest manuscripts are the best. Mm. And so therefore, they, so I don't care... You can say whatever you want right now, but here's the fact of the matter. If you have an NIV Bible, if you have an ESV Bible, if you have an NASB Bible, if you have a name, name them, all, them all, you have Roman Catholic Alexandrian text type doctrine. 100%. Now, if you don't believe that, you can get mad at me. You can argue with me all you want. The facts lay it out. Okay. Let me, let me say this. The, the the Calvinistic Bible today. I mean, this is the Calvinistic Bible is the ESV. If you are a good practicing Calvinist, you will have an ESV Bible. And can I tell you why? Because that's where you're going to have your most understanding of Calvinism. Okay. But listen, Calvinism is nothing more than Augustinian beliefs, which was August Augustine was the father of Roman Catholic doctrine. So you want to know why people believe in 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 that uh, ideology of Calvinism today? Do you want to know why it's so prevalent today? Do you want to know why it's taken such a major uh, shift from where we were a couple hundred years ago to where we are today? Well, because we had the ESV Bible, which was a Roman Catholic backing Bible, and the ESV and so, is the English Standard Version for those who want to. Yeah, yeah. So that so so there you go. That's how we got there. And you go, ah, uh, you're, 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 you're drawing some uh, uh, conclusions. No, I'm drawing factual conclusions. That is absolutely correct, 100%. Mm-hmm. But think about it. Westcott and Hort, 1881, I think it was, 
were doing their work and producing their work, uh, uh, the Nestle's Greek Testament, the New Testament, and then that came the Revised Version. And like you said, I think you mentioned it earlier, in 19, around 1901, that's when you started seeing all these new English uh, translations or versions of the Bible. And it was from, it was from the work they did, because you can follow the timeline. It was mm. before that, what did they have for you know some 270 years was the Byzantine text type in the King James Bible for 270 years. It was the one that everybody had. And then these two guys come on the scene, do their work, and, and corrupt everything, and pull out these Alexandrian text types, and they start using that and, and doing their work. And then you have the revised version, and bam, a flood of new uh, English versions on the market right after the 1900s. And, and that's history, 100%. You can track it, you can see it. And you have to ask yourself a question, too. Why such a flood? Because it's all about money. Well, we, <laughs> because yeah. every single time you come out with a new copyrighted Bible, that copyright, there's money involved in that. Definitely. There's a re- so there's a reason behind all of this. It's not like we have hundreds and hundreds of different Bible translations just so we can better understand the Word of God. No. It's, it's all it's about worse. money. Well, the reason you <laughs> copyright something is to protect it so you get the royalties for it, you mm. know. Absolutely. So, okay. So what is the only Bible translation today on the market that comes from uh, Texas Receptus? Hmm. Maybe that is the, the authorized King James version, Bible. 1611. <laughs> yeah. So now I want you just, if you're just going to stop there and you're listening right now, I just want you to consider a couple things. Do note, based on what we just talked about copyrights, interestingly enough, the AV 1611 does not have a copyright on it. You cannot legally put a copyright on an AV-1611. And if you have a 1611 and you open it up and you go, wait a minute, there's a copyright right here. Understand what was copyrighted. Because if you have that and there is a copyright, it's only because you have a... Commentary or... Commentary or something like that. That's what was copyrighted, is the commentary that somebody put into that Bible. The actual words of the Bible, the AV 1611 is not copyrighted. And I'm pretty sure the word of God says that his word is not what? Bound? Right. <laughs> if you have a copyright, you're binding the word. That That's the deeds of the Nicolaitans once again. Okay. No, you can readily and availably get the uh, King James Bible, AV 1611, uh, and not have to pay a copyright to get it. Yeah. Okay. Here's the crazy part, and I want you once again to really think about this. It's the only one. I mean, just stop and think about everything we've been talking about over the last two episodes. If it's the only one, which one makes the most sense if it's certain, Mm. if it's preserved, if it's pure, if it's all the things that God's word has, has said about itself? Well, certainly the Alexandrian text type cannot say that. They don't even agree with one another. Yeah. Okay. Only the Byzantine text site can even come close to making that assumption or assertion because at least they agree with one another 98% of the time. That's a lot more certain than 30%. Okay. See, most people just don't know this. Mm -hmm. They aren't privy to this information because the devil has subtly. Yeah. You know, and what they've done is they've turned the, the tide if you will, and what the the devil has done is he's turned the tide to make it look like those that do believe in the certainty of the Bible, that do believe in the fact that it's pure, that do believe that it's settled, it makes us look like a bunch of crazy nuts. Mm -hmm. Why? 
because we take the position that we believe that what God says is what God means. Well, there's an attack on the Word of God. Yeah. So, and where's that coming from? So, I mean, why, why are we so, why is it so, why are we so wrong for just taking God at his word? Mm-hmm. But the devil's got us arguing about that, right? And then we become the minority, yeah. which by the way, all through the Bible, what happens? Those that are truly following God always end up becoming the minority. It's always a remnant. It's always a remnant. It's always it's always that. I mean, look at the Roman Catholic Church joins with, or I'm sorry, the Roman Empire joins with Christianity. It becomes this big, 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 huge thing, and just a remnant one underground. Yeah. Right. Right. And as you follow through history, what you find throughout all of history, uh, through those 1500 years, the Roman Catholic Church rises to power. The the uh, uh, Alexandrian text type, which by the way. Really, this all goes back to if, we're, if we really want to get to the to the nuts and bolts of of, of even where the Alexandrian text type had its beginnings, uh, it, it goes back to the Latin Vulgate. That's where it all started. Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which, by the way, where did Jerome do that? Alexandria, Egypt. Okay, it started there. Okay, and then uh, 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 if you wanted to bring the Byzantine text type back to its beginnings, well, we, it's called the Peshitta. Yes. Okay, the old Syrian text type, mm-hmm. which predates the uh, Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus by almost 200 years. There are, there's a school of thought that it may even trace right back to the apostles themselves. So listen, so when somebody says that the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus uh, manuscripts are the oldest and the best, that's not true. That's not true. Actually, the oldest that we have is the Peshitta. Yep. And the Peshitta 100% unequivocally agrees with the Byzantine text type. So you're making a false statement when you say that. So don't say that because it's not true. It's the factual evidence does not prove that that is true. And, and I would even argue, and we have so minimal amounts of those. Do you know that if you were to look at the actual copy of the Vaticanus and the actual copy of the Sinaiticus, do you know? Okay, so they 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 wrote these uh, 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 words on what's called um, uh, vellum. Vellum. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's kind of like animal skin. It is. Okay, and just to give you an idea, well, okay, when you have animal skin, it, it's kind of like paper. Do you know, like when you write something down on paper and then you erase it? Do you know how that paper gets a little more thinner? And then if you keep writing something in that spot and you kept erasing it, what would hap- end up happening to the paper eventually? You, you kind of erase right through the paper and it rips. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the same thing happened with the vellum. Okay. The more you wrote on it, erased it, and wrote something in, you would start to see the integrity of the, of the, of the uh, vellum start to decrease. Vaticanus and Sinaiticus is loaded with them. Mm-hmm. I forget what they call it. Uh, there is a term they use for that. There is, but it basically just means you're you're writing over it and writing over it and right. writing over it. So somebody went in, erased whatever it said, and put something over it. Mm-hmm. If you're okay with that, if that's your oldest and best, and you're okay with that, listen, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. I don't know who touched that. I don't know who erased that. I don't know who... And I'm certainly... I'm certainly not going to use two manuscripts to be my basis of all Bible translation when they don't even agree with one another. Sure. I'd rather go with the 5,500 that are agreeing with one another 98% of the time as my basis. Yeah. 
And that's where Texas Receptus comes from. That's how we got Texas Receptus. It is a, a, a uh, 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 to me, the evidence is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the argument is outside of the fact that people are just blinded to it. Because mm. once you start to really put the pieces of the puzzles together, there is no argument. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I basically just come back to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 21. That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. And so I do hope over the last couple of weeks, these discussions here have um, maybe, if not convinced you or helped solidify you, wherever you are on that, at least maybe um, prodded you a little bit and, and kind of um, made you a little more. Um, aware of these things and maybe want to seek seek these things a little more and and, and um, see where you land on this uh, because we believe that that God is very clear about where he stands and and, and we want to stand with him uh, so we thank you for joining us here this this day on uh, the revealing and uh, we do look forward as always to spending time with you next week until then take care and God bless Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.